Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Heavenly Father, I pray to you, Lord, that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds to be receptive to your word today. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who, who brings us to life, who nurtures us, who cares for us, who provides for us. Thank you for your spirit that, that works in us even then when we don't deserve it. You're still gracious to us. And this is all because of your amazing love. Lord, I thank you for, for every person in this room and for what you want to do in them and through them. And Lord, I thank you for being so gracious to us as a church and that we are still a church plant and there's a lot of room for us to grow and you're never done with us. And we praise you for all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. You are, wait for it, dirt. That's what you are. You are dirt. I know what you're thinking. Byron, you normally wait till the end of the sermon to make me feel like dirt, but today I'm just calling it as I see it. That's what you are. You are dirt. And the question that's going to determine our life is not whether or not we're dirt, but what type of dirt are you? That's the question that determines all of our lives. So Jesus today is going to tell us a parable in which he basically calls us dirt. And what he's saying is there's two types of dirt. There's a type that that he uses to build the kingdom of God, and then there's a type of dirt to where we live our everyday lives, chasing our own pleasures and building our own kingdoms. And so the question is, what type of dirt are you? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 4 through 15 as we continue our series through the parables. And so what what we need to to remember when it comes to understanding the parables is that it's Jesus' way of revealing the kingdom of God to the world that we live in. And so we're actually walking backwards in Luke's gospel, um, and we're going to be in chapter 8. And this is the very first parable that Jesus teaches, and it marks a change in his earthly life and ministry. And so this parable of the sower and the soils might be the most challenging and the most confusing out of all of Jesus' parables because it's the way that he begins to teach about his coming, his reasons, and revealing the kingdom of God to the world in which we live in. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. We're going to walk right through it. And this is what he says in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said, he said in a parable. Okay, so he being Jesus. So here's where we're at. Lots of people are coming from everywhere to come and to see Jesus preach. People are traveling for miles and miles to come and to see and to listen and to hear Jesus. So Jesus is very famous. Jesus is very infamous. And he's also very influential to the first century Jewish people. So word has gotten out about Jesus. They've heard about his miracles. They've heard about him raising the dead to life. They've heard about him turning the water into wine. They've heard about him opening the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the deaf. They've also heard about Jesus's teachings. They've heard about Jesus's teachings on the law, his teachings on prayer, or the the fatherhood of God. 
They've also heard about the reputation of Jesus, that he hangs out with the poor and the prostitutes, that he welcomes the children, that he fed the 5,000. So Jesus is very famous, and people are traveling for miles and miles to come and to see and to listen and to hear the message of Jesus. But not everyone is there for the right reasons. Not everyone there has the best motives or the best intentions. Some people are there or for the wrong reasons, and you need to know that in your own life. That just because you're surrounded by people, it doesn't mean they always have your best interests in mind. And so there's a lot of people gathering around Jesus, and you have people from different walks, different backgrounds, and different places for all their different reasons. So some people are there generally because they do want to know who Jesus is. They say, is this the Messiah? Is this the Son of God? Could Jesus be who he says he is? And so they're there for the right reasons. They, they, want, to, they want to know, they want to love, they want to serve, they want to follow Jesus. But some people are there because it's cool. Now, I know what you're thinking. Following Jesus is cool. Like, that's not what we see. But remember, in the first century Jewish people, like, this is a rural, agricultural, suburban society. So there's not Netflix. There's not a lot going on for them to have any sort of entertainment. And so Jesus is their entertainment. Hey, I wonder what miracle Jesus is going to do today, right? I wonder what Jesus is going to say. And so, I don't know. Let's go check it out. So for them, Jesus was more entertainment, There's another group that were there for selfish reasons. They didn't really want to see Jesus, but rather they wanted to be seen with Jesus. And there's a whole other group that are there for completely false reasons. And these are the religious leaders, the scribes, the priests, the Pharisees. And they're there to antagonize and to criticize Jesus, not to be committed or to listen to what he actually has to say. They're frustrated with Jesus because they've had their own corner on the religious market for, for, for years And Jesus is challenging the status quo. And so they become indignant and frustrated towards Jesus. So here's the crowd. Bunch of people, all different places, for all their different reasons. And I want you to think about the crowd like us. Because really, isn't this the same way it is today? There's a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus, but don't actually know him. And there's a lot of people that say they know Jesus, but they don't actually follow him. We see this both in culture and in the church. People will come to faith, people will endear towards Jesus, people will quote Jesus, people will mention Jesus, but they don't really believe in Jesus as the Son of God. That Jesus left heaven, entered into this life, lived the perfect life, died the painful death in our place, takes our sins before the Father, and then gives us righteousness. That he comes to reveal the kingdom of God. See, that Jesus is is not necessarily the Jesus that we see in culture and in life, and that's a different Jesus of our imagination, And so when you think of the crowd, I want you to think it just like you and me. I want you to think of the crowd like people in this room, people that you know in your life and people in America, that we all come from different places and we're all all gathered around Jesus to listen, to see, and to hear what he has to say. But not everyone has the best intentions. And so, so Jesus sees this, Jesus recognizes this, Jesus knows, and Jesus turns to them and he tells them a parable in which he basically calls him dirt. And this is what Jesus says as he turns to the crowd and he gives them this. In verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so, so here's Jesus, and he's giving um, this illustration of a farmer, okay? Now, how many of you guys are farmers? 
Yeah, nobody, right? I mean, we live in Beaumont. Like, we're not farmers, okay? You might have, like, a little, you might have a little produce. You might have, a, like, some tomatoes or grow some herbs. But, but you don't live off of the produce that you grow. No, we go to H-E-B because that's where freshness lives. And so, so Jesus is giving this, this farming illustration to first century people, and they would be very familiar with what Jesus is trying to say because they lived in a rural and agricultural society. However, we're kind of removed, so what is, a, what is a sower? Well, it's a, it's a farmer. It's a specific farmer that, that grows his own crops and produces a harvest, and that's where he draws his livelihood. And so he sows a seed, and there's four different types of soils. So for the first soil that he shows is he talks about the soil that is, um, that is on the sidewalk, okay? So it's the soil uh, along the path. And this would be like a sidewalk. So obviously you don't throw seed on a sidewalk. You're not going to get a harvest if you plant where people are walking on. It's going to get destroyed. So that one's obvious. And then the second one is the rock-like soil. Okay, so this soil that we see here, um, it's kind of like the sidewalk, but it has a, a thin amount of topsoil, and then underneath it, it's rock, so it's actually very shallow. So the seed can plant in there for a little bit, grow a little bit of roots, but because it doesn't receive moisture or nourishment, eventually it just withers up and dies. Then the next is the thorny soil. Um, and, and so when we hear the word thorn, we typically think like a rose bush with thorns or like a sticker bush, but that's not what first century Jewish people would have heard. What, what they had back then was it was a type of weed. Not the weed you smoke, but it was a weed that, that grows alongside the rest of the crops. And this weed has, has, has thorns and thistles on it. And so it grows along the rest of the crops, looks like them. But if you chop that weed down, it spreads and infects and affects all of the other crops. And so it spreads, it steals the nutrients, it blocks out the sun, and eventually the good crops planted along the thorny soil get choked out and they die. So you have three negative, you have three negative soils that are to be avoided. And then you have one good soil that is to be nurtured. And here we see it's the fertile soil. So this is the soil that has been nurtured, that has been plowed, that has been prepared. It's been, it's been fertilized. And when the seed takes root in this fertile soil, it begins to grow. And as it grows, it, it develops deep roots. It receives the nourishment, the provision it needs, and it begins to produce a harvest. And the harvest that we see here is a harvest that is a hundredfold. Okay, so here's what you're thinking. All right, that is amazing if... We're taking Farming 101 at the local junior college. But what does this have to do with the Bible? The first century people, they say, okay, Jesus, yeah, I get it. I understand you don't plant seeds on sidewalks, right? Everyone knows that, right? You should probably stick to carpentry because farming is not your expertise. And so the crowd comes to see Jesus. Everyone's gathered all around to hear Jesus as the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher, the most influential leader in, in the history of the world. And this is where they get a farming lesson. And so the crowd's like, Jesus, boo, this is a terrible sermon. I mean, I wasn't expecting the dead to be raised, but water and a wine, that one was pretty cool. Could you do that one again? Could you give us a message? Could you give us something that would just blow our minds to where we can just go away and we can just enjoy our show? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus turns to them, gives them this parable, and the crowd, they come to see Jesus, the best preacher, they get the worst sermon, and they walk away, and that's their day. So think about it, though. If we remember back to the first week in our parable series, a parable is not just a simple story that Jesus tells to make a truth more palatable. 
That's not what a, a parable is. A parable is not just a, a cute saying that Jesus says so, so the general audience will be ab- able to understand. That's not what a parable is either. Now, a parable is sort of that, but in reality, it's so much more. A parable is a short story with a big idea, and it's the way in which Jesus chose to reveal the kingdom of God to the world around us. And so Jesus is actually saying something a lot different than what the crowd would have heard. So what is it that Jesus is is really trying to tell them? When you read this, are you kind of confused? Jesus, what are you trying to to say? Do you ever read the Bible and like, I don't know what that means? Are you confused? Don't worry, you're in good company because the disciples were confused too. This is what the disciples turn to him and they say, they say this in nine. And when his disciples asked him, what this parable meant, okay, so think about it. These guys, the disciples, they're basically life with Jesus 24-7. That's their life. They, they, they pray with him. They eat with him. They hang out around the campfire at night with him. They get one-on-ones with Jesus. So they're, 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 they're seeing his miracles. They, they see his teachings. Basically being discipled by Jesus 24-7. And even the disciples were confused. They're like, Jesus, I have no clue what this means. How many of you? feel like that? How many of you guys are new Christians and you're like, I I don't know, right? I'm still confused. And so you're reading your Bible, you're walking with Jesus, you're joining a community group, you're kind of challenged. I don't know what any of this means. Anybody? Okay, good. Just just so you know, you'll be a mature Christian for 50 years and you still won't know what you're doing. So so you'll be following Jesus for 50 years and you'll be reading your Bible and you'll think, Lord, I I don't, I've been reading this wrong for years. You'll be reading this, and you'll be, you'll be living your life, and you're like, Lord, I, I am not living up to your word. You can be following Jesus for 50 years, and you still have room to grow. So here's the point. I've got good news and bad news, okay? The bad news first is you're never, you're never going to figure it out. You'll be, you'll be walking with Jesus, and, and you're never going to figure it out. You're going to fail. You're going to let other people down. You're going to let yourself down. You're going to sin, and you're going to be reading your Bible, and you're not going to understand, and it never stops, But the good news is, is it never stops. That there's always room to grow. There's always a next step. There's always something to learn. There's always room to mature. And that you'll be following Jesus for 50 years and Jesus will still be teaching you. That Jesus will still be working on you, working in you so that he can work through you. The good news is it never stops. And so while on this side of heaven, no, you're never gonna be perfect. But by God's grace, we do persevere. And by God's grace, we are making progress. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, so they get alone. They say, Jesus, what does this parable mean? And then Jesus, he explains it to them. And this is what he says in verse 10. He said, being Jesus, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Okay. So it was Jesus' sermon on the soils and the sower was it really a big flop? What do you think? See, sometimes I preach bad sermons, okay? It just happens. No. Sometimes I, I know. Sometimes I preach bad sermons. I, I'll be up here and I think, man, I am communicating a point. Like I am just driving this home and this is connecting with everyone. And I just think, this is amazing. I'll hop in the car and I'll be like, hey, babe, talking to Ashley. And I'll say, how was the sermon? She said, it was good. <laughs> Why the pause? Why'd you pause? She said, well... You kind of lost me on like the third point or something like that. I'm like, dang it, dang it. So, so sometimes I preach and I'm like, this is amazing, right? This is an amazing sermon and nobody remembers. And then sometimes I preach a terrible sermon and it's the one that everyone loves to talk about for three months. And I'm just like, I have no clue what I'm doing. 
However, Jesus does. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. So here's the, here's the deal. The problem wasn't with his teaching. The problem was with their understanding. That was the problem. See, the crowd, they came because they expected something out of Jesus other than what Jesus wanted to give them. They were there for the wrong reasons. They were there for the wrong motives. They valued experience over the kingdom of God. They, they, they valued entertainment over the kingdom of God. Because they valued experience and entertainment over the kingdom, they walked away with neither. Jesus is trying to, to move us to a position to recognize our intentions. And if you will allow me to just go on a little rant for just a sec. I have the microphone, so you don't get a choice. Um, I want to go on a little rant because I think this is the same place we're at today in American Christianity. American Christianity is dirt. That's what we are. And we're in this weird phase right now. We're walking through an identity crisis as to what it actually means to be a Christian or what it actually means to, to follow Jesus. And we're trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, and we're in this weird identity stage. And so you have some people who try really hard to make Jesus more relevant. And so they want to make Jesus more relevant, and so they're even reconsidering, they're, they're reinventing, and they're, they're, they're rediscovering, what they'll say, what Jesus actually says and what Jesus actually means. So they're making bends on the truth, they're compromising in certain areas, because they think if we lower the bar, then the doors will be wide and more people will come. But what I've discovered in my own life is that when you lower the bar, you actually lose respect. And so some people, they're like, well, let's just try to make Jesus more relevant. So we have all these different types of Jesuses. So now we have self-help Jesus, give you 10 simple steps to be your best version of yourself. We have hipster Jesus that just wants to, just to hang out and do social justice projects. We have CEO Jesus who wants you to be the leader. We have Oprah Jesus who just wants everybody to get along, look under your chair, free car. And so we have all these different versions of Jesus that people are trying to sell us. But on the other hand, you have traditionalists and fundamentalists. And these people, they are diehards for what they believe was the golden age of Christianity, which was in the 1980s. And they will not let go of the past. So for them, the Trinity is King James Version Bibles, TBN, and the religious right. That's their God. That's their, that's their Trinity. And they fight for that with everything that they have. And because both of these, you're having another section that is just completely giving up and walking away altogether. But in the midst of that, you have other people who are becoming more committed than ever before. You have, you have people who are growing, who are maturing, and they are multiplying in their faith. And so when you, when you get on Facebook, when you, when you get on Twitter, and you see all the different blogs and the articles, everyone's going to tell you Christianity in America is dying. And they're going to give you 10 reasons as to why, and, and they have their clickbait, they have their, their reasons, they have their excuses, and they have these articles. But what I, what I think is so interesting about these articles is that, is that they all tend to disagree with one another. So I was reading two articles this week about why millennials are leaving the church. And I don't really see it because in our church, millennials are actually leading this church. So I got six, I got six 20-year-olds in my room on, on, in my office on Monday nights leading and guiding the direction of the church, and that's amazing. And so they ask, well, why are millennials leaving the church? And they'll give 10 reasons as to why. And what I, what I found on this one is that they actually disagreed with one another. Because on one blog, it said, it said they're leaving the church because there is no vision. The church has no vision. 
But on the other blog, it said they're tired of hearing about vision. So which one is it? Do we not have vision? Do we have too much vision? Nobody really knows. Because the deal is, is all of this is just opinion. That's what it is. It's all opinion. There's no Bible. There's no scripture. There's no exposition. There's no encouragement. There's no hope. There's no message. There's no mission. It's just opinion. It's clickbait, viral articles to vindicate and validate whoever says whatever. And all we do is we just share it. And we just share it around because we, we don't really know ourselves. And, and the, the, the thing is, is here we are, a crowd with no commitment. That's what we are. We're a crowd with very little commitment. And so what Jesus does is he turns to us and he says, we're dirt. And the question for us as a church is what type of dirt are we going to be? Are we going to be the dirt that complains and criticizes or are we going to stop making a dent and start making a difference? What type of dirt are we going to be here at Redemption? Not those out there, but those in here. Who are we going to be? Are we going to be the dirt that Jesus uses to build the kingdom of God? Or are we going to continue in our own lives, building our own empires in this world? Jesus turns to us, and he basically, he basically calls us dirt. And so here's what Jesus says as the disciples ask him, what does the parable mean? So Jesus gives an explanation to what he's trying to say when it comes to the parable. And this is what he says in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Okay, so, so the disciples, they get alone with Jesus. Now the crowd, the crowd leaves. They're disappointed. They didn't get what they came for. And so the crowd leaves, but the disciples, which are the committed, they stay. And they go to Jesus and they ask Jesus, Jesus, what does the parable mean? And then Jesus explains it to it. When you're reading the word, when you're, when you're praying and you don't understand, you don't understand what's going on, you're challenged, you're, you're, you're frustrated, get along with Jesus. Get along with Jesus and he'll work it out with you. When you're reading the word and you don't understand, ask him, he wrote it, he'll help you. So get along with Jesus. And whatever you're walking in, whatever pain, whatever suffering, get along with him. In any confusion, in any doubt, get along with Jesus, he'll work it out. So they get along with Jesus. And then Jesus explains to them what the parable means. Here's what he says. He says in 9, uh, sorry, 11, the seed is the word of God. So here's what, here's what we know. The seed, the seed's good. The seed works all the time, every time. The seed is good. This word, this word's good. This word is good. We can trust it. This word tells us who God is. This word tells us that, that we don't have to guess or speculate because he's perfectly revealed himself to us through his word. From the very beginning to the very end, it's a story all about Jesus. So we know who Jesus is because he's revealed himself to us through his word. We can trust it. And so in your life, if you need a word from God, all you got to do is read the word of God and he'll reveal himself to you. So we can trust the word. It is living, it is authoritative, and it is the, the final rule and authority in the life of the believer. That's how it works. So we can trust it. So here's what it looks like. When we're reading our word, we're reading, okay, Jesus, you want me to, you want me to love my wife? All right, got it. You want me to raise my kids? Okay, that's great. You want, me to, you want me to pray? You want me to give? You want me to serve? Okay, Jesus, I'll do that. You want me to plant churches? All right, Jesus, I got that. You want me to love my enemies? Oh, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you on that. You want me to bless those who curse me? Okay, okay, it's gonna be challenging, but, but I'll do it. So we can trust the word of God. But that's not necessarily how we read the Bible anymore. That's not how we read it. Here's how we read it. We're reading, mm, I don't know about that one. 
oh, that's opinion, that's cultural, that's outdated. Mm, I disagree. So we're reading, reading. That's how we read the Bible now. And so we say, this is what I believe, this is where I disagree. And so we put ourselves over the authority of the word. And here's what we're doing. We're exchanging the good seed for other seed. That's what we do. So we're exchanging the seed for something else. So now we have all different sorts of seeds. We have philosophy, we have self-help, we have religion, we have, we have possessions, we have politics, we have protests, and that's our new seed. We think this is what's going to change my life. This is what's going to change the world. This is what's going to change my family. This is what's going to make me smart. This is what's going to make me intellectual. This is what's going to make me enlightened. And so we change the seed based upon our own needs. Listen to me. This word has stood the test of time. For thousands of years, this word has gone forth. It has changed hearts. It's changed minds. It's changed cultures. It's changed cities. And it's changed the entire world. This word is good. This word stands the test of time. Empires have risen and fallen. Leaders have lived and died. Civilizations have come and gone. Religions have come and gone. But this word has always been. This word stands the test of time. So whatever you're thinking, whatever book you've read, whatever class you took in college, whatever YouTube video you watched, whatever blog you read, in a hundred years will be dead and forgotten. But this word is forever. We need to trust and believe and hold fast and hold firm to the word of God. When I became a Christian, I did not believe the Bible. Didn't. It took me about two years before I learned to actually trust the scriptures. And so I was raised in the church, but as I became a Christian, I was like, man, I don't really need that. Right? I would read it. It's like, that's a good book, but it's not, it's not real. It's probably good stories to teach us how to live a good life, but I, I don't believe that the Bible is actually God's word. And it took me about two years before I finally was willing to be obedient and to trust it. Now, I'll tell you how. Um, I started a community group with uh, about five other of my buddies. Okay? Um, we were all raised in church from different backgrounds, and we all got saved by God's grace all around the same time. And so I'm about 21, 22 years old, and, and we started this Bible study in Ashley's apartment, and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together for four hours every Wednesday night. I don't know why we chose four hours. Um, I don't know, but that's what we did. Um, we were very adventurous. So we had four hours on Wednesday night. We'd buy a case of beer and a pack of cigarettes, and we'd just read our Bibles, and we'd argue, we'd drink, we'd fight, and that was what we did. And after about a year and a half of doing this, we weren't getting anywhere but drunk. And so a friend of mine came up with the idea. He said, hey, how about instead of just reading the Bible and arguing, how about we actually try to just do it? It was a novel idea. So we're like, okay, well, let's, let's just give it a shot. All right, so, so here's what we did. We decided, okay, we're going to give it one year. We're going to read it, and whatever it says, that's what we're going we're gonna to do. And, and so we'd still fight. We'd still argue. We still got a little drunk, but um, God was working on us. And, and so we're like, what it says is what we're going to do. So that's what we did. And I'll tell you what, at the end of that year, God changed our lives forever. He changed our lives. So for me and Ashley, we stopped having sex. We stopped sleeping over with each other. And our relationship grew, and we got married by the end of that year. Another friend of mine, he took a homeless person in to live with him. 
And then he turned his home into a communal living space for people who are down on their luck. And they came and they would live with them. We threw, we threw concerts to pay for a friend of ours' funeral expenses. We threw art shows to give the money to missions. We fed the homeless. We had 20 of our closest friends meet Jesus in that year. And three of us got called into full-time ministry. Jesus changed our lives forever simply by trusting him and taking him at his word. Now, are there times that I read this and I'm like, Jesus, that is ridiculous. Yes. Are there times when I read this and I'm like, you want me to do what? Yeah, trust me. Are there times that I don't disagree? Are there times that I don't understand? Are there times that I'm very challenged and I look at it and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Yes, there are. But here's what I can tell you. In 11 years of following Jesus, I have never been disappointed by obedience. Never. I've never been disappointed by taking him at his word and trusting in him. Now, is there pain? Yes. Is there suffering? Yes. Have there been moments of darkness where I couldn't make my way through? Absolutely. But I'll tell you this. In 11 years, he has never let me down. Take him at his word. Trust him. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Is if there's a problem... The problem's not the word, the problem's me. If there's a word if there's, that I don't understand, the problem's not God, the problem's me. That's the problem. If I don't see this, if I don't understand this, the problem's not the teaching, the problem's my understanding. The problem is not the word, the problem is my heart. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's trying to get to our hearts Because it's our hearts that Jesus wants, that he wants to give us a new one. He wants to take our old one and give us this new life. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at when he's talking about our hearts as soil. See, the word is the seed, but your heart is the soil. And your heart is the soil. Now, now the heart is the center of all of your existence, okay? So when when someone does something devastating to you, it breaks your heart. Right? When, when, you, when you have something exciting happen, your heart is filled with joy. Now, your heart is really just muscles and arteries and blood, right? But in reality, your heart is dirt. That's what your heart is. Now, all life comes from dirt. From dust we come, from dust we return. But all life flows out of your heart. It's the center of your existence. And Jesus is wanting to get to our, get to our hearts. And so he tells this parable to show us the state of our hearts. Now, there's four different types of hearts, which means there's four different types of people. And each person's receptive to the word of the Lord in varying degrees. And so the first heart that Jesus tells us about is the sidewalk heart. And here's what he says here. As he explains it, he says, the ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's verse 12. That is the the heart like a sidewalk. So this heart's made of concrete. This heart's made of rocks. And and, and this is, people are walking all over it all the time. So this is the the well-traveled road. Okay, this is the narrow road in which Jesus speaks of. This, that leads to salvation. This is the wide, broad road that leads to destruction. And so this heart is is the way of the world, that people are just walking over it. And have you ever you sat on the sidewalk and, and you threw like french fries out and the bird comes and, and picks it up? That's what this heart's like. And, and so whatever, whatever, I have a lot of friends with sidewalk hearts, okay? And I used to sit down with them and I used to give them all the reasons as to why I believe what it is. I'd use apologetics, I'd use history, I'd use personal experience or, or anything that I learned in theology and I tried to convince them but it seemed to be that the more and more I push, the more and more they resist. 
And then for every, every reason I gave, they had an objection back to it. And so the more I push, the more they resist. And this is why the Puritans would say, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. And sometimes with some people, the more you push, the more they resist. And so the only thing you can do for a sidewalk card is pray. Is pray because they need Jesus to take a jackhammer to him, bust him up a little bit to make him a little bit more receptive. And so the only thing we can do for the sidewalk heart is to pray. And my heart breaks for the sidewalk heart because this is who I was. For years, I was the sidewalk heart. I thought I knew everything. I had my own reasons that I didn't need anyone to tell me anything because I, I knew it all. I had a sidewalk heart. I was unreceptive to the word of the Lord. So Jesus came in, busted me up a little bit, and made me more receptive. It's a sidewalk heart. The, the second heart, which we see, is the heart among rocks. This is what he says. And the one on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But when they do, they have no root because they believe for a while. And in a time of testing, they fall away. So now this one's a little bit different than the sidewalk soil in that they're both made of rocks. But this one has a small amount of top layer. And so the seeds go in and it, it produces a little bit of root. And you see a little bit of growth, a little bit of maturity. But because this person's actually very shallow, it can't dig deep roots. They have a shallow heart. They have a shallow nature. This is a shallow person. And so they're not able to actually dig down deep, develop some good roots. So when, when difficulty, when temptations, when trials and testing come their way, this person gives up, gives in, and walks away. And they don't receive the, nurture, the nutrients, they don't receive the, the nourishment that they need to grow, and they give up and they, they walk away. This is the, the rocky soil. Now, this is the person that, that, that comes to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, fix all my problems. Okay, Jesus, I, I've come to you now. Everything's going to be better now. Right? I'm coming to Jesus. Here we go. Take it. Make me, make me better. Jesus, fix my problems. And what they don't realize is that in order for Jesus to do that, he actually has to dig down deep in your heart. That he has to dig deep into your life. He has to pull up the weeds. He has to remove the rocks and the mud and the soil that have been covering your heart and soul for years. He's got to get in there. He's got to get his hands dirty. And for people, that's work. To them, they see that as effort, as intentionality, as obedience. And those are words we don't really like anymore. And so when this happens, they give up, they give in, and they, they walk away because they don't realize that following Jesus is actually, it actually takes work. That, that Jesus has to get into the, to the roots of our life, that he has to get his hands dirty, has to get his hands muddy, and it takes work in following Jesus. And so for them, they, they, they would give up and they would walk away because they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't want to put in the effort and the intentionality to be obedient. And then there's another type of heart, which Jesus talks about, which is the thorny soil. And it says, and as for those who fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So here we see, this is the, the thorny soil, okay? So this is a person who lives in two kingdoms. They have one foot in the kingdom of God. So they're growing, they're maturing, you're starting to see a little, a, little, a little growth, a little fruit. So they have one foot in the kingdom of God, but they have another foot in the kingdom of this world. So you see a little growth, you see a little maturity, and then the ways of the world come in, they choke them out, and eventually they fall away because they live in two kingdoms. There's a little bit of growth, but then the world comes in and, and chokes it out. And here Jesus talks about the pleasures of life. 
The pleasures of the life. There's two types of pleasures. There's the pleasures of the Lord, and then there's the, the pleasures of life. Now, what is Jesus getting at when he talks about the pleasures of life that choke us out? See, typically people look for pleasure in three places. They look for pleasure in, in people, in places, and possessions. These are the things that distract us from our destiny in Jesus. And the first is people look for it in other people. And so this is, I want people to like me. I want people to endear towards me. I want people to love me. I want them to think of me in a certain way. And so I, I, I derive my identity from the affirmation of other people. This could be fear of man issues, or this could be people-pleasing. But for this person, the greatest source of pleasure they receive comes from other people. I typically see this most in, in college students, in addicts, and in singles. And so, and so they don't want to let go of past relationships, things that have been holding them back, in order to move forward. They still want to keep their, their new life, but their old relationships, their old nature, their old desires, while still walking in a new life. And so I've seen this so much when people come into the church and they, and they meet Jesus, and then, they, and then something drags them away, whether it's people, but then also there's another one that's places. So some people, their, their, their identity comes from their places, that's where they find pleasure. So they have a dull, boring, arduous life, and they think, well, if I can only just get away, then everything's going to be better. That if I can go on this vacation, if I can get this new job, if I can get this new house, if I can move to a new city, then everything's going to be fine. So for them, the pleasures comes from the experiences of other places. And so they don't fail to realize is that wherever you are, that's where you're at. And that if you don't learn to take pleasure in the Lord, it doesn't matter what places you're in, you will never truly experience pleasures in life. And so for them, their identity or their, their, their comes from the places in which they are. And then lastly is possessions. People look for pleasures of life in the possessions that they own. We live in the most materialistic and consumeristic society in the history of the world. Okay, the average American makes $36,000 a year, which really isn't a whole lot. Um, and they have $1,000 in their bank account, $5,000 in savings, and a total aggregate debt of $136,000. That's the average American. When you add up mortgage and car and credit card and all the other things, we make 35 and we owe 136. And so everyone's in debt, everyone's depressed, everyone's discouraged, and marketers and advertisers know this, and so they come after you and say, the only way for you to actually be happy is if you buy more stuff. And that's what we do. And we just buy more stuff because we think this is what's going to make me happy. And so everyone finds themselves in the same position. And so we're out chasing after people. We're out looking for new places. We're out buying new possessions. And when we get them, we think, okay, everything's fine now. I got everything that I need. I have the pleasures of life. So I don't really need Jesus because Jesus is more for like the poor. Right? Jesus is for those who are hurting. Jesus is for those who are down on their luck. Not me. I don't need Jesus because I got all of these things. But what they fail to recognize is they're the poorest out of everyone. See, listen to me. Life is short. Life is very short. You get 80 years if you're lucky. Right? If you take your vitamins and you don't get hit by a bus, you might make it 80 years. And you're not even guaranteed that. Life is very, life is very short. And so, on, so all the people that you, you wanted to love you, one day they will let you down. All the people that you sought their affirmation, one day they will be dead and they'll be forgotten. 
One day all the places that, that you wanted to go to and all the possessions that you owned will burn up, be turned to ash and to rubble. And you're going to stand before Jesus on that day and you're going to be alone, you're going to be poor, and you're going to be broken and devastated. And you're going to have to give a reason as to why you chase the pleasures of life over the pleasures of the Lord. Why you sought something that is temporal over something that is eternal. And you'll have to make a decision. Do I live in the kingdom of this world or do I live for the kingdom of God? See, the truth is you can't serve two masters. You will love one or you'll hate the other. That's just how it works. And so for this person, they live in two kingdoms. They try to live in the kingdom of God, but they also don't want to let go of the kingdom of this world. And because of that, they will wither up and they'll die. So we have three, we have three soils that should be avoided. We have three types of dirt that are bad, and we got one dirt that is good. And so Jesus goes on and he, he speaks of the soil that he is looking for in our lives. And this is the good soil. And this is what he says here in 15. And as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast and honest and a good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Okay, so there's, there's three negative, there's one positive, there's one type of dirt that Jesus is looking for, and this is the good soil. This is the dirt that Jesus uses to build the kingdom of God. It's got an open heart. It has open mind. It's receptive to the word of the Lord. And as the word comes in, it develops deep roots in this person's life, and it begins to bear fruit. It begins to produce a harvest, and the harvest we see here is a hundredfold. Now, what is the harvest in which Jesus speaks of? Well, it's salvation. The salvation is the harvest that God is, that is God is working on in our life, that we might be saved, that we might be declared righteous, that we could come to hope and to faith and to trust in Jesus. That's the harvest in which Jesus is growing and maturing in our life. And so for this person, with the good soil, Jesus gives us an indicator. So how do we tell the difference when someone's genuinely saved versus when someone has shallow hearts or worldly dirt? How can we tell the difference? See, Jesus gives us an indicator here, and the indicator is this word patience. Now, when we hear that word patience, typically what do we think? We think, uh, don't freak out on the kids, <laughs> right? Don't, don't send the email, right? Don't blow up on the boss, right? Don't flip the guy off who cuts us off in traffic. That's typically what we think of when we, when we think of patience. But that's not necessarily the patience in which Jesus is speaking of right here. Okay, there's this type of patience that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And this patience is what we call perseverance. This is what Jesus is speaking of. The person who perseveres. So this isn't the person who gives up. This isn't the person who gives up, gives in, and walks away. This isn't the person who tries to avoid difficulty, but rather they embrace responsibility. This is the person that when, when storms of life come their way, when the sun comes out, when, when the clay hardens over their hearts, this is the person who digs in deep, who holds fast, who holds firm. This is the person who perseveres. Through all the pain, through all the struggling, through all the suffering, they don't give up, they don't give in, and they keep following after Jesus. They hold fast, they hold firm, and they stand on the word of God. That's what perseverance means. How many of you in your life, it just feels like life is persevering. Like every day, day in, day out, it's just life is hard, life is hell, life is difficult, life is challenging, and sometimes you don't know. Life is persevering. Anybody? I'm alone in this. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. We've got some honest people in church. Praise God. 
Um, and so that's what life is, right? And you're, you're forced with a decision. Okay, Jesus, do I trust you? Do I keep following you? Or do I give up and give in? What do I do? It's a daily decision that you have to make to follow Jesus, to persevere, anybody, right? How many of you, it's easier for you to, to watch Netflix than read the Bible? How many of you, it's easier for you to talk about someone than talk to God? How many of you, it's easier for you to be exhausted, be tired, come home from work and want to skip community group, but you decide to go anyway because when you do, God meets you in that moment and gives you the joy you need. How many of you feel like life is persevering? That life is hard, temptations are everywhere, and you're just trying to make it through the end of the day. Welcome to the Christian life. That's what it means to be a Christian. See, being a Christ- becoming a Christian very easy. Being a Christian is very difficult. It takes patience. It takes, it takes perseverance. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. That's what it means for us to be a Christian. That's what it means for us to have Jesus work in us to produce this harvest and the harvest of, of salvation. Now, the truth is, is you don't do any of this on your own because Jesus is the sower. It's Jesus who who sows the seed. See, apart from Jesus, all we are is dirt. But because of Jesus, we become a harvest. Apart from Jesus, all we are is dirt. And so the sun and the rain and the pain and the problems, they harden our hearts. They they cause the clay to, to come over our hearts and we become shallow. We become filled with weeds, become infected with the world. But Jesus comes in, he plows us, he prepares us. He nurtures and provides for us, takes a jackhammer, busts this up a little bit, and then gives us his grace. Jesus is the sower. You don't do any of this on your own. The only thing that you need to recognize is as dirt, you must hold fast and hold firm to the word of God. And Jesus will grow you. Jesus will mature you. Jesus will love you. Jesus will care for you. Jesus will produce the harvest in your life. You are dirt. Jesus' word is the seed, and he is the sower, and he produces the growth in your life. That's what Jesus is getting at. And so Jesus preaches the word. Jesus speaks life. Jesus raises the dead to life. Jesus makes the darkness day. Jesus sends the rain. Jesus brings the sun. Jesus brings the growth. Jesus produces a harvest in our lives. And the only thing that we must do is hold fast, hold firm, and persevere till the end. To not give up. To not give in. To stand on the word of the Lord. Whatever may come, that's all that we have to do. And so, in closing, I want to to move you in the same way that Jesus tried to move the crowd. Because remember, the crowd was there for the wrong reasons. The crowd was there because they wanted something other than Jesus. They wanted an entertainment. They wanted a show. They wanted some experience that they could walk away. But they didn't really want the kingdom of God. So the question for us is, who are we? Are we the crowd? Are we the crowd who just comes in and comes out and tries to get on with the rest of our lives? Or are we going to be the committed? The people who hold fast, who stand firm, who grow and mature and follow Jesus all the days of their life. Who are we going to be? Are we going to walk away? Or are we going to walk with Jesus? That's the question for us. Which type of dirt are you? Are you going to continue to build your own life in the empires of this world? Or are you going to allow Jesus to use you to build his kingdom? 
We have a decision that we must make. As the crowd saw this and walked away, I beg of you, I plead with you, do not walk away today the same way you came in. Dig deep in the word of the Lord and you will see Jesus bring a harvest in your life. So in closing, here's what I want to do. I want to give you just a couple of things for a challenge to help us grow in our faith, okay? So the first thing that we need to do is we have three community groups here at Redemption. We have one in Orange, we have one in Mid-County, and we have one in Beaumont. And we have people who are coming in, and we need community groups to multiply. And, and so if you have a home that you would like to open up an apartment or a dorm room, we need more community groups. So um, I w- we want to start training people to lead new community groups. We want you to open up your home. I know that opening my home has been one of the biggest uh, joys and challenges for perseverance in my life, but God has used that, and so we want that for you as well. So we need more community group leaders. So if you would want to lead a community group, um, we want to train you in that. Next, we want you to join the serve team. So to join the serve team, um, sign up on the Connect card. We, have, we want to move to a rotation for our team. So that way we can have week on, week off, because a lot of these guys have been serving for a year straight, and they'd like to take a vacation, I'm sure. And so we want to we grow our serve team. And the next third step you can do is get baptized. Lots of people have met Jesus in our church, and we want to baptize you. We want to dunk you underwater. We want to get you wet in Jesus' name. And so get baptized. Sign-up sheets are in the back at the Connect desk, or you can sign up online. If Jesus has, if Jesus has changed your life this year, or you've never been baptized, take your step in obedience for that. And then lastly, I want you to also be a sower. Just as Jesus sowed the seed in our life, I want you to sow the seed in someone else's. Invite them to Easter Sunday on April 16th. So you see on your bulletin, we have a website that we've made, um, redemptiontx.com slash Easter-2017. It's a great tool for you to invite, start investing in other people's lives, sow the seed of salvation for others. And so Jesus has been exceedingly good to us as a church. He's been so gracious. He's been so good. And, and we're at the very beginning of everything that Jesus has for us. We're what you call a church plant, okay? So, so we're at the very beginning stages of what God's doing in our church. And, and the word of God is developing roots in our lives, and he is bringing the growth. And this is just the beginning. And so we would want for you, I would ask of you, I'd say, hey, come grow with us. Come be a part of what Jesus is doing here at Redemption. We'll walk with you. We'll help you. We'll ask any questions together, and we'll, we'll follow Jesus together as he produces a harvest. We love you, and we want you to get connected to what Jesus is doing. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.